Welcome to the Brush with Brit podcast. I'm your host, Brit, and as a dental hygienist of two years and a registered dental assistant of eight years, I bring you a podcast that is full of helpful information. Whether you are an assistant, hygienist, dentist, or maybe you don't even work in dentistry, there is something valuable that you can take away from each and every episode. In this week's episode, I take you through a thorough review of the clinical board exam that is required in order for dental hygienists to get licensed licensed in the United States. And as a 2020 graduate from dental hygiene school, my opinion on this exam completely changed when my program was shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And in addition to reviewing my opinion on the live patient exam, we are also going to review the mannequin exam as well, which my very good friend Marie, also known as the French hygienist on Instagram, she will be joining me in this week's episode. And she recently graduated in uh, 2022, this year, and she took her exam on the mannequin. So we decided to come together and share our opinion about this exam and also just give you a rundown of some of the things that we should think about when it comes to our licensing procedures in the United States. And before getting started, I want to make it clear that this episode is our current personal opinions. These are, you know, subject to change in the future. And it's just something that we currently have on our minds and wanted to share with you. And we as hygienists have an obligation to be open to new ideas, new research, and new innovations. Um, We can uh, disagree on topics like this one and still be respectful to one another. So we may or may not have the same views about the clinical board exam, but I just wanted to set the tone for an open and honest conversation about the future of the clinical exam and changes that may or may not occur. So I really hope that you tune into this week's episode with an open mind and an open heart. And with that being said, let's get into this week's episode of Brush with Brit. I'm so excited for this episode. So I wanted to kind of do like a review on the live patient exam, like kind of like what that entails. And then we'll go through our opinions on that. And then we'll go through kind of like what the mannequin entails. I mean, I only know a little bit about it, but I'm sure you know way more than I do. And then (laughs) maybe we can like briefly talk about the the OSCE um, and then we'll go from there. Did you have to take an OSCE? Because I did not. I didn't, no. But I've I've been hearing like more and more that people are taking it. So, okay. I yeah. I think so. the The mannequin board has like a kind of OSCE section because you have to answer. I can't remember how many questions it is. Like 10, 15, 10 questions, I think, that are multiple choice. Yeah, that's how it was for the live patient exam. I think it was less than that. It might have been like less than 10 questions, but there were like a few clinical um, questions that you did have to answer on the live one too. Got it, got it. I think the OSCE is uh, more in depth. I don't know how many questions it is, but I think it's it's like an actual exam. Yeah, it is an actual exam. I know they do it in Florida. Yeah, mm -hmm, exactly. So for... 
everybody that is listening, we will go ahead and review the live patient exam. Um, for me, I took the REB exam. There's like multiple different versions that you can take. And um, like credits is one of them. REB is one of them. I think there's other ones as well. But it they're, they're all pretty similar, I think. And I had to find like one specific quadrant with like a, a certain amount of uh, pieces of calculus. And although you have like your professors in the clinic there to kind of help you, they don't really give you a whole, they can't really give you a whole lot of feedback. So it's kind of just a guess based off of like reading the criteria. And then once you find that patient that you believe will qualify, um, then you set up your exam and you take them in that day and then hope that they qualify. If they don't qualify, you literally fail the exam. Um, and then you basically uh, scale and root plane one quadrant of their mouth and then it's evaluated by examiners in another room. Um, and then they basically decide if you've removed all the, the calculus or not and if you passed. So for me, I had to take the live patient exam and I graduated in 2020. And so this became extremely difficult because patients already didn't want to go into like a dental environment, let alone an exam um, where a bunch of people are and everything. So and we were kind of freaking out, too, because they took the ultrasonic away from us at this time because of the aerosols and we had gotten used to it. So then we were kind of just like, OK, now we have to take our board's exam without using it, which now in hindsight, I'm like that that would have been okay if we didn't use it anyways i'm sure we would have been fine but we were able to find a um a location that allowed us to use it but just experiencing this live exam during the pandemic completely changed my perspective on this exam because i just feel like testing on one quadrant of the mouth does not prove any hygienist competency in my opinion is that how you feel Marie or like what do you kind of think about the live patient exam yeah so I got very lucky because my class we graduated in 2022 and we got to choose so in California we were given the option of whether we wanted to find a live patient or whether we wanted to do mannequin we were 20 people graduating and every single person ended up doing mannequin so some people wanted to do the life patient, but then they were unable to find someone. The criteria was complicated. And then after two years of pandemic, people were not really into the idea of coming at like 6.30 in the morning for some people to stay for three hours to get their one quadrant of their mouth cleaned. So I really agree with you doing just one quadrant on one person. Everybody's different. Everybody builds calculus differently you know, what does it prove in the end? Yeah. And I also, you know, think that it's important for us to talk about how it's unethical for us to find a patient that qualifies and then have them wait for treatment, which to me just makes no sense. And typically, like once you see that live patient and clean that one quadrant, you graduate and get your license and probably never see that patient again to complete treatment unless that patient is somehow lucky and gets back into the clinic and completes everything but like odds are they're not going to yeah exactly and not to mention the cost of this exam is is crazy I think it was like almost $1,500 to take it 
Yeah, and actually, it costs the exact same price to do it on a mannequin. On a mannequin, which that's <laughs> but that is bizarre. And I also read recently that like dentistry is one of the only professions that is still doing these types of exams for licensure. Yeah, my husband is a PA, a physician assistant, and he can work in any medical specialty. And he has never had to do a clinical exam. I mean, they do rotations and they do hands-on experience, but they're not graded on, you know, did they give the exact amazing above and beyond standard of care on a patient? And that one experience is what determines whether they get their license or not. Yeah. And I think after practicing for two years and really seeing the differences in patients, like the exam being on a live patient is just like you cannot have everybody at the same difficulty level. So what is that really proving? Like if a hygienist passes on a patient that is extremely easy and their calculus comes off, but then another hygienist has an extremely hard patient and it's so tenacious, it's not coming off, like they can't get the patient numb and then they fail. I mean, it doesn't really make one hygienist better than the other just because one person failed and one person passed. Yeah, it really doesn't. And then, you know, if schools are relying on, well, this person can't scale very well, but we'll see if they pass their exam. And it's like, well, then you have someone who maybe, I don't think it really happens because dental hygiene schools are so thorough. But if it were to just prove that someone can scale, then, you know, you can have the opposite thing of someone can't scale and then they get to the exam and they end up passing with the minimum grade and that person goes on to give care even though for two years they proved that maybe they didn't have the level they needed to be able to take care of patients. Yeah. And I had somebody else say that, um, oh, if if somebody fails the, the clinical board exam, then they're a crappy hygienist. And I just think that that's like completely incorrect. And scaling is not the only thing. Of course, it's important, of course, but it, it's not the only thing that makes a hygienist great. You can eat, you could pass the clinical board exam and still be a crappy hygienist. <laughs> yes. And you could and you could <laughs> fail and still be a great hygienist. Yeah. And you have to take into account that this is an exam that is extremely stressful. I was lucky because my school is a testing site. So I went into the exam knowing where everything is, being very familiar with the clinic. But there's people who travel to a clinic they've never seen before. You have the stress of the exam, all of that stuff. You know, when you're in clinic and working on a patient and you're not getting graded, that takes off a whole layer of anxiety, which might be a reason someone fails. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention that it. I know so many people that paid somebody to be there that maybe traveled with a random stranger to this exam. Like it is it's yeah. not safe for hygienists to our students to or anyone to take a random person with them and pay them to sit for a clinical board exam that like you also have to pay out of pocket like $1,500 for. I mean, it's just like crazy to me. (laughs) The more and more, the more and more I think about it. And I, I think that my opinion about this exam grew really strongly because of the pandemic, but also being a 2020 graduate, I'm right in the middle where like, it's like I could have taken it on a live a live patient, but I also may have taken it on a mannequin. So when I've been questioned by other experienced hygienists on which one I took it on, I almost always want to say a mannequin just so that I can see what what they say. You know, I just feel so judged. 
I, I don't know if you feel that way too, but like it's sometimes, not all the time. But <laughs> I mean, I've been lucky so far that I haven't been judged. And I think that, I mean, I don't know for every other state, but it seems like the requirements to pass the program are very similar throughout the United States. And so even though I didn't take my official clinical board on a real patient, I had to do four mock boards throughout my my school and I had to pass with 75% or above something that was simulated to be like the board exam to be able to pass my program. So no, I didn't do the one by credits on a live patient, but I did four mock boards on live patients during my school and passed all of them. Yeah. So it's like, shouldn't that count for something? You know, why, why do we have to go through this whole other thing when you just did all of those mock exams and had your professors that have been watching over you this entire time, have them grade you? You know, have them be the one to oversee everything and determine if you are competent or not. Yeah. And I think that's what happens in most other um, clinical professions. And, you know, I think some people also I've seen when you talk about this, people are like, no, you absolutely need a board exam to verify that people know what they're supposed to know. And we're just talking about the clinical exam and not the written NBDHE exam, where I absolutely agree that that has to be there. Yeah, just in, yeah, just in terms of clinical skills, it's like, well, we've been working on patients for two years. You can't pass the program unless you meet all the requirements, which includes seeing patients of all sorts of disease levels. And then you're, pre- you're prepared as much as school can prepare you. And I think the consensus is even when you get your license and you've done it on a life patient, that you continue learning for the first few years, if not lifetime of when you're a hygienist. Yeah, absolutely. I, that was a great point. I, um, I think that sometimes there is a little bit of confusion when we talk about the board's exams through like the clinical board exam or the written board exam. I 100% agree with the written board exam. Um, but yeah, specifically, this is in regards to the clinical exam. And one thing that I also experienced, so at the time we were trying to get the mannequin exam approved in California and it was not approved yet. So I sat in on some of the board meetings um, because we were really afraid that like we just were not going to have the chance to even take this exam on a live patient or on a mannequin. And so in some of these board meetings, there were dental professionals that were speaking and saying that if they were hiring hygienists and they asked them what what they took their clinical board on, live patient or mannequin, and the hygienist said a mannequin, they wouldn't want that hygienist to work for them. And so now that it's approved, I wonder, you know, what would what would they say now? And the other thing that I experienced was I was um, in my clinic at school and I asked one of the professors, so you've been grading me like this entire time that I've been in hygiene school. And I just want to know, like, do you think that if I take this exam on a mannequin, that 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 means that I am then not a competent hygienist? And the professor said, I think every dental hygiene student should have to take it on a live patient. And so those two things like always sat with me, like, because now it's completely different. And now the mannequin exam is approved in California and in many other states. 
Um, so I just found it very interesting that they were very firm on their beliefs on that. And hopefully now they it's changed because there's so many students that are taking it on mannequins. And I just would wonder what they would say now, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I just recently moved to another state and I did a lot of interviews because I had no dental network um, when I moved here. And so I did six interviews and not once did someone ask me what type of board I took. They just wanted to know whether I had my license for the state. Um, I think we're also at a point where hygienists are in high demand. And so you can't be that picky anyway to you know, fuss over which board exam was taken. Dental hygiene school is very hard, has a lot of requirements. And if you can pass the program, graduate and get your license, I think that whether it is mannequin or life patient is a detail. And I think that there's also, for those that think we need to take it on a life patient, there's the stigma of like, these people want to take it on a mannequin for the easy way out. I would have much rather done it on a life patient if it had been easy, if it had been, you know, to find someone and if it had been okay to be like, hey, random person at the grocery store, do you have periodontal disease? I would like to do one quadrant of your mouth. And then, you know, maybe four months later, if you want to come back to my school, a student can do the rest of your mouth. It's such an awkward conversation to have. It's even worse during a pandemic. And then in the end, it's like, what's the benefit of doing it on a life patient versus a mannequin? Yeah. You know, absolutely. what does it prove? <laughs> yeah. What does it prove? And I think it would be great for you to kind of go over like your, what the mannequin entails and like what your experience was with it, because I, I don't know a whole lot about it. Yeah. So actually I found that, you know, deciding to do the mannequin was kind of nerve wracking because we don't do school on typodonts. We do it at the beginning to learn instrumentation, but we're not spending hours and hours removing fake calculus on fake teeth. So you're kind of going into it not being sure if you're prepared, whereas if it was a live patient, you know your skills in clinic and you know, I know how to remove calculus. So I actually um, ended up buying a typodont, which I was told was similar to what they use for um, mannequin exams. And it ended up really being similar. But so you come in, all of the setup is the same as a live patient. You have to register, you have to file for a time, you get told the same thing. I did credits. And so you get all the same information as you would a live patient, except you don't need to bring your patient and the typodont is provided for you. And so you come in and it starts with multiple choice questions because obviously you cannot do uh, extra oral, intraoral exam on a typodont. And so they ask you questions about that. And so you may have questions about pathology or how to do um, the extra oral exam and stuff like that. And then you get the typodont and you only get to choose between a lower right or a lower left quadrant. Um, I'm not sure on the life patient if it's any of the four quadrants. And uh, any. Okay. And then on the typodont, the, um, the maxilla is different. And that's where you will do your probings and where you will do calculus detection. So you, you can't remove the calculus that someone is going to check that you found the right spot for. 
And then the lower arch, whichever side you picked is the side that is going to have the calculus put on there. And then you have to remove all of that calculus with the same instruments you would as a live patient. See, I find that incredibly interesting because I'm just like you, it it has to be completely different than a real patient's mouth. (laughs) I mean, it is very different because you're learned to detect calculus on a real person and then you go onto the mannequin and it's like, well, what am I supposed to feel? And so you're feeling around and the first tooth may not have any of the fake calculus and like, I don't know, like, is that really what it's going to be? what it feels like. And then the next tooth, you're like, oh, okay, I feel something. Okay, I guess that's what so you're kind of learning on the go, you know, what it is you're supposed to feel. Yeah. And not to mention, like, you don't have to get them numb. You don't have to I don't know if it has a tongue, but you don't have to worry about saliva. No. So there's just things that don't really make it a realistic situation at the same time, you know? Yeah. It's just bizarre to me. And I just think that um, I mean, I think that it's great when you're first starting out to learn on a type of like our first semester in dental hygiene school. But then like, I couldn't imagine learning on a live patient for the rest of your hygiene school and then have having to go kind of backwards to a, a mannequin in order to get your license. Yeah. But I do have to say that after having taken it, you know, the, the novelty of it, because you haven't really done it that way before, you're still testing the same skills. So you're testing, does the person know how to do an EOIO and do they know how to detect pathology and do they know what these things look like? Can they identify them? And mm-hmm. so the multiple choice question part does that. Yeah. And then when you do the probing, the type of dance that they use have actual pockets. Cause I know when you're starting out, you get a whole bunch of different Typodonts and some of them it's like if you press hard enough you can go all the way down to the bottom of the root yeah these guys are really done where you have an actual probing so Mm -hmm. you can only do it right if you know how to do it on a mouth Mm -hmm. and then the calculus detection you need to be able to use your explorer you need to be able to adapt to the tooth otherwise you're not going to feel it and then to remove the calculus on the lower um on the lower jaw maybe you're able to see it a little bit easier with your naked eye, but you still need to be able to use instruments to remove it. So yes, it is easier because you may not have to retract a cheek or retract a tongue exactly the same, but you do still have to know how to do working strokes and all of that. And you can actually also cut the gums on the typodont. And if you do that, it's a critical error and you fail. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I remember somebody telling me that like you have to be really careful with tissue trauma on the typodonts because mm-hmm. the, the the gum tissue um, is a little bit different. Did you feel like it would um, like kind of rip easily? Uh, yes, you, you really have to adapt the instrument to the tooth. Um, however, I did cut a little bit of the gums because... I mean, it's so easy to cut. It was a very, very small cut that unless you would pull on the gum, you kind of can't see. And I didn't get points taken off. And I think that, you know, that would be the same thing as inadvertent curtage. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a great, I'm glad that it's an option now. And I'm I'm glad that, you know, students um, don't have to go through the trouble of, of finding a patient that may or may not qualify. 
Um, but I still don't know, like, as far as like, do I think that it, it proves anything? Not, not really. And I think that we talked about the other um, part of it as well. Let's say you fail on the mannequin. So you've kind of gotten practice on, on the mannequin exam. So now yeah. you take it and you pass. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, if, and I think it's the same with the life patient. If you fail, there's a makeup day. And um, for the mannequin, you don't have to repay. So every single person can take it twice and pass the second time, even though they failed the first time. And it doesn't show anywhere. You know, you just still get your license and you know, you know that you failed once. And if someone wants to check your results, it'll say you did two attempts. But yeah, you can take it twice for and not repay. And I think the same thing for the live patient. Yeah. Exam. You can do yeah. the same thing. So yeah, it's the same. So you can kind of get like, so even if you do fail, you can, it's kind of like a little bit of practice in order to to pass the next time. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, for us in the United States, like, it's good for us to also look at other countries and what they do. Um, so I know in areas of Australia, they go through their dental hygiene program. And uh, I believe they have a written exam as well. And but they don't go through through a live patient or mannequin exam. And I'm uh, pretty sure that it's the same in areas of Canada as well. So sometimes I think like the United States should maybe think about following other countries like that and see like what what they do as far as their criteria to become a dental hygienist. For sure. And I think that really going through the program and your teachers, you know, are supposed to be honest and grade you the way that you deserve to be. And they can see your attitude, how you are with the patients, etc. You know, when working clinically in a private practice or in public health or, you know, any clinical setting, the way you treat the patients is just as important as how you're scaling. So you also don't want people to just pass a clinical practical test and no one is checking how they're talking to their patients and, you know, what they're doing apart from removing calculus. There's just so much more to our profession than just that. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like our programs should be held to the highest standard in order to determine uh, if we should become licensed. And they're really the ones who are watching over us and teaching us and, you know, giving us our skills in order to enter the profession. Yeah, exactly. And I also think, you know, it's complicated, but for example, my husband as a physician assistant, when he went through school, he did not have to find a single patient because how awkward would it be to have to practice all of the different exams that he has to do and have to find people to come in? You know, it's like, hey, you over there, do you have a swollen lymph node? I need to practice palpating swollen lymph nodes. Would you come in so I can get graded? You know, it's it just doesn't work for the medical setting and it would be weird for people to be asked that and so the school provides and then they go into real clinical settings and take care of patients that actually need care and they really get the experience hands-on and there are so many people who need dental care there are so many public health clinics that need people to come in and help out with the patient 
is it that we can't have that kind of a system for dental hygiene schools? Yeah, I think that would be absolutely amazing. Like for a dental hygiene student to get that kind of experience and be able to go into like a clinical setting and get all their experience that way. I mean, I feel like it would be uh, much more valuable and they would learn a lot more as well from something like that. Yeah, I agree. I got very lucky that when I did my program, um, the pandemic was kind of slowing down. And so we were allowed to do a rotation and I only got to go a few weeks every Friday we went to a public health clinic and we actually took care of patients in real time instead of school clinic time which you have three hours for an appointment which is not realistic you'll never get three hours in the real world and so you got to see actual patients that don't know you that trust you to take care of them and you wanted your best and you know you're seeing things that you would not necessarily see in clinic when you're asking maybe family members and friends to come in for you or people that you've met through a friend of a friend and stuff like that. Uh, So I thought that was some of the most valuable experiences during my program. And I really think that everybody should be able to have that during school. Yeah, I love that idea. And, and I like the idea of the the OSCE too, um, as an option, you know, for for people, I don't know if that's like where it will go in the future as far as like getting licensed and everything. But I do like the idea of at least having, you know, a written exam about the clinical stuff, which I think is cool. But I also think that the written kind of does that as well. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty comprehensive. (laughs) I'm like, it's pretty um, (laughs) in-depth. I'm sure we could do a whole nother podcast on the written exam, but (laughs) I appreciate you. And then also just like being open to this conversation too. I think it's a challenging conversation to have. Um, And I just love that. Like we're able to talk about this kind of stuff and hopefully, you know, make changes for the future. Yeah, and I love that you like to talk about the hard subjects and that you're not afraid of what people are going to say. They're all important things to talk about because we want people to think outside the box and, you know, be able to see a different perspective. I think dentistry is such a a formal, like, hard-to-change um, profession. People are really into, like, classics and conservative. And, you know, during school, I couldn't show tattoos, even though, you know, nowadays it's not a big deal. And at work right now, I don't hide my tattoos. Mm-hmm. And so being able to, like, push people to think outside the box and maybe evolve and change, I think it's just a great thing all around. Yeah, I can only hope that it advances the profession in some way. I've just, you know, seen so many like comments and messages um, about the exam. So I think it's it's also good to remember that you may not agree with anything that me or Marie said, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Like we are all colleagues and dental professionals, and we can still be friends and have a different opinion. For and sure. <laughs> and I think, sorry to bring up one more thing, but um, one of my teachers was saying that they were thinking at some point to do a portfolio instead of a clinical exam. And so you would actually build a portfolio of the patients that you've seen at school and what you've done. And, you know, you do like a a follow-up appointment to see how their gums have healed. And then you can present that to a jury and show that you have competency to be licensed. And I think that that would be a much better approach than having a clinical exam on a type of donor live patient. 
Yeah, I actually heard the same thing um, back when I was in school in 2020. And I, I love that, uh, that, that idea. I feel like that is great. I would, and even for my, like, even for myself, I would love to have that portfolio of what I did in hygiene school, because there were some cases that were just absolutely incredible. And I think that that would be a great way to um, determine a a dental hygienist uh, licensure. Yeah, I agree for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Marie. I'm so excited to share this episode. I think uh, a lot of people are waiting for it and are excited. (laughs) So thank you so much. And for everybody that um, took the time to listen to this entire episode, we appreciate you being open-minded and um, just listening to us and our opinions. And hopefully we gave you a different perspective on the clinical board exam for dental hygienists. So thank you so much, Marie. And until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.